Welcome to another episode of the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke. He's Dane Brugler. We've got Kent Garrison as our producer. Uh, as we uh, sort of expected, <laughs> talked about late last week, had a what looked like not a very good week on paper at college football. We ended up with three you know, top 25 upsets, a couple near misses. Um, and just to make sure I don't go a half hour ranting on Pat Narduzzi's decision to kick a field goal from the one yard line, I'm going to let Dane hop in here pretty early. Uh, what'd you think about the uh, weekend? Is it harder to watch games uh, for you on Saturday now that you got a toddler running around the house? Well, for those that don't know, we recently, my family and I recently moved to Ohio. And so from Texas to Ohio, that it was a family move strictly for family so now i have reinforcements on the weekend so uh my wife's not going <laughs> crazy on saturdays and sundays if i'm out of town on you know on the road or if i'm home watching games uh and so now she has reinforcements with uh the grandparents so uh we're, we're covered there but yeah i think you're you're right it it wasn't the best weekend but you know it's college football so there's always upsets there's always uh some interesting things going on I, the Michigan State game, jeez, uh, uh, that that that's <laughs> that sticks out as uh, just a missed opportunity for the Big Ten, uh, and then kind of you know uh, Narduzzi Michigan State ties. I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, you kind of you mentioned it that 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 was brutal. So that's that was my takeaway from the weekend. Was just some really really surprising. Uh, Coaching decisions, um, I, I think uh, Coach D'Antonio at Michigan State showed how much faith he has in Brian Lewerke, um down the stretch with uh, some of the moves he made, and so overall, just wasn't a great weekend for college football. But that's okay because we got a we got a big one coming up uh, this upcoming weekend. Yeah, and we'll get into that a lot more uh, on our second show this week, which was uh, as we mentioned before, is uh, for subscribers only. So make sure you get in. At TheAthletic.com, if you don't have a subscription yet, uh, you can find this podcast every week uh, on Apple Podcasts or you know, wherever you go to listen to uh, your podcasts. Um, and yeah, not a great week overall, really, for the Big Ten. Iowa got that win at Iowa State, uh, the rain-delayed game, but Maryland uh, Maryland looked rough. Illinois lost to Eastern Michigan. You mentioned Michigan State. Um, but uh, also some big news happening in the NFL and we want to make sure we're we're hitting that side of the coin too. Again, it's the prospects to pros podcast. We want to hit on the pros angle. Um, and the Steelers had some big news with Ben Roethlisberger going on IR for the year. Mason Rudolph's now the quarterback there. They traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, I thought I was going to be able to maybe do the uh, old Mayock like stump the truck with you on Devlin Hodges, who's now their backup there, but. I found out he's in, he was in your top 25 quarterbacks last year. So uh, if you've got any thoughts yeah. on on a guy most people probably haven't heard of who's now behind Rudolph, but then uh, also, you know, just especially on, you know, what you thought about Mason Rudolph, we're not that far removed from him being a third-round pick. I mean, it was 2018 class. Right, and yeah, Devlin Hodges, the, uh, he, he reminded me, I, I, I called him the FCS version of um, uh, the Penn State quarterback. Yeah. Uh, What's his name? Um, I just blinked on his name. Trace McSorley, yes. A little undersized, but has life in his arm. He uh, is a creator uh, with his legs. So uh, the FCS version of Trace McSorley, that's who That's who he really reminded me of. He rewrote the FCS record books with uh, his career passing numbers. But yeah, this is going to be about Mason Rudolph. And uh, can he 
really show that he can keep that boat afloat in Pittsburgh. He coming from Oklahoma State, we know he was really productive. Uh, he was a three-year starter there, uh, and each season his production went up, passing yards, touchdowns. Um, the biggest thing was just that learning curve going from that Oklahoma State simplistic offense and just a learning curve that he faced transitioning to the pro game. And so the biggest question I had from him from his college tape is, okay, when that first read's taken away, can he efficiently go through, through his progressions, feel the rush, find an open window, not drop his eyes and, you know, start trying to frantic frantically look for space uh, he wasn't consistently asked to make his reads left to right high to low wasn't consistently asked to do that at the college level does he have has he had enough coaching at the NFL level where he's going to be able to do that uh that, that's going to be my big question with him it's not that he can't do it it's just I don't we don't know that he can because he wasn't asked to do it enough in college so with Mason Rudolph, he checks boxes with the size. He's just a hair under 6'5". He's 235 pounds. He's a decent athlete. Not a great athlete, but a decent athlete. And uh, I, I, you know, the coaches that I've talked to uh, really speak highly of his character, um, the way he works. So I don't have any questions about him behind the scenes getting ready in the preparation. But just can he execute uh, the entire offense uh, going through his reads and when everything's just so much faster at the NFL level. So uh, a lot of question marks there, uh, eager to see it. But I tell you what, the trade that happened last night uh, with the Steelers trading a first-round pick uh, to the Miami Dolphins, uh, plus there were some other picks involved uh, for Minka Fitzpatrick, that tells me a lot about how Pittsburgh feels about Mason Rudolph. If they didn't believe in Rudolph, uh, then they don't make that trade because this could be a top five pick that we're talking about. If they didn't believe in Mason Rudolph as a starting quarterback, then they, they don't make this trade. And I think, you know, part of it's obviously about Minka Fitzpatrick, who, uh, you know, we'll talk about here in a second. He's an outstanding player and he's under team control for what the next three years. And so that's, or four years, really, if you include franchise tag, that's a big part of this. But it also says a lot about what they feel about uh, Mason Rudolph. And, you know, I know, Ben Roethlisberger, he's going to be back next year. Uh, I have no doubts about that. But still, we're talking about uh, a season that the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're not ready to give up on this season yet. Yeah, definitely interesting. And I think some of those things you mentioned about, uh, you know, obviously the size with Mason Rudolph is going to look familiar to Steelers fans who are accustomed to seeing Ben Roethlisberger back there. But so many of those plays in that offense happen you know, sort of outside the the window of what's called, just with Ben making those plays, keeping things alive, finding those guys downfield. We've seen him do it, you know, so many times throughout his career. So that is a big change. Are they gonna Are they gonna sort of go more vanilla and help Mason Rudolph get to those first and second reads quickly and get the ball out of his hands, or are they gonna stick with the same game plan and you know try to get the ball downfield when they can and uh, let him create in the pocket if if things break down. It'd be kind of curious to see what they do. I mean, you just in general, when you go to a guy who doesn't have a lot of starting experience, I think yeah, at first you, I don't want to you know, like dumb down's the wrong word for the playbook, but just sort of simplify everything and uh, and make sure that he gets settled in. But again, so much of that offense has been based around Ben Roethlisberger's pretty unique skill set. Uh, and we don't really know what it's going to look like. I mean, we saw, I guess, Landry Jones has had some moments in there, and uh, you know, random guys throughout the years have had to step in and play a game here or there. But this will be the longest period of time that uh, you know the Steelers have had to really build an offense around someone other than Ben Roethlisberger. So 
Um, kind of curious to see how it works. And like you mentioned, I think it is sort of two sides of the coin on the Minka Fitzpatrick trade because it does seem like a, a vote of confidence that they think at worst this is still a middle of the road team. So you don't feel as bad about trading, you know, a seven and nine draft pick, you know, when you're picking 14, 15, as you would if you're thinking you're going to go two and 14 and, and have that number one, number two, whatever it is pick. But like you said, this is, uh, I, I mean, I think you also kind of look at it as is there, would there be anyone that you'd like more in this draft class than Minka Fitzpatrick? And I don't know that there would be. I mean, he was a, I think he was the number 11 pick, you know, two years ago and uh, a guy that can play multiple positions. We sort of talked about that in past episodes, just the importance of having those versatile defensive backs. And he's a, you know, safety who can play cornerback for you or vice versa, depending on how you look at him. And um, maybe they sort of stacked him up to what they thought was going to be coming out this year and said, oh, he's, he's, he would be like number three or four on our board overall. So let's go get him. And I think that's, that's possible too. I mean, he's, I, he was that good a player in my mind. I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to really go look back and see where you had him ranked, but I assume he wasn't, uh, you know, in the third round range for you. No, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know anybody anybody that was higher on Mika Fitzpatrick than I was. Um, I, <laughs> I actually he was Quentin Nelson was my top prospect uh, in the 2018 class. Mika Fitzpatrick was number two, so that's how high I thought of him. Um, and part of it is like you said, the versatility. Um, he can play corner. He can play nickel. He can play safety. Uh, I, I personally, he was in my corner rankings. He was my number one corner in the 2018 draft ahead of Denzel Ward and Jair Alexander. Um, I think he's best in the nickel, but I think he can kick outside and be just fine. Uh, he's tall and lean and long. Uh, he's quick and he's the biggest thing is the instincts that he offers. Um, and I'll never forget hearing Nick Saban talk about uh, Minka and just uh, how much he valued his the uh, Minka's skill set. Uh, Saban literally said that he doesn't remember ever having a, a player on one of his teams that could play every single role in the secondary and play it as well as Minka Fitzpatrick did. Uh, I mean, he made that much of an impact on the defense playing um, at corner safety. Uh, played their uh, their money position. So, I mean, there, there are really like six different defensive back positions in that Saban defense, and he played them all in college. And so I, I think he's best in the nickel, like I said, where, you know, you can best use that that range, best use the instincts, the football smarts. Um, so I, that's where I'd like to see him. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see because Pittsburgh, they need help all over the secondary. Um, and so I think just having a versatile talent like that where he can play a few different spots, that that is huge. And I think you're right about... Pittsburgh looking at this draft class and saying, okay, where would Minka, and it's not Minka the prospect, it's Minka with a full season under his belt. You know, he has uh, one season of experience in the NFL, which obviously gives him a head start. Plus, you're getting him for this season and not obviously uh, waiting until next year's draft. So, getting a little bit of a head start kind of reminds me a little bit of. Uh, you know, the Cowboys and Amari Cooper last year when they traded for, gave up a first round pick for him. They looked at the wide receivers in next year's class. They didn't see a wide receiver in the top 25. Plus they got Amari Cooper for, uh, you know, last year's season, which obviously helped get them in the playoffs and uh, made a big difference. So I, I, it's kind of similar. Now, is he going to have that type of impact for the Steelers that Amari Cooper did for the Cowboys? 
that's going to be hard to hard to say. I mean, rarely do we see do we talk about a nickel corner having that type of impact. But uh, you know, I, I think just the player and his potential and the talent. I, I think you could certainly make that argument. And looks like the Steelers. Hey, I give them credit for being aggressive. Yeah, it's an interesting. You mentioned they need some help, maybe in, in that defensive backfield. But it's kind of an interesting group of names they have there because they have Sean Davis in safety. They have uh, Terrell Edmonds, who was a, a two thousand first round pick for them in two thousand eighteen. Um, they drafted just Same Justin draft, yeah. Lane this year in the third round. Uh, they've got some young guys in there to to sort of mix in with uh, Joe Hayden, and uh, they signed Stephen Nelson this off season. Um, so yeah, we got to sort of see how they fit all the pieces together and where they're going to use Fitzpatrick. But the the other important port point that you made is, you know, you're not getting a guy. Uh, this isn't like a, a dump at the end of a contract. You've got him for at least two, you know, almost three full seasons before you have to do anything with the, and then you still got the fifth year option and you've got maybe the franchise tag. So this is, I think it's a short-term play, but also, you're looking long term and saying that this makes makes us better for you know the next three four years. So even if we're not great with Mason Rudolph this year, when Ben gets back next year, whatever the plan is, you know 2020, um, we've got uh, what we consider an elite player in the secondary to kind of plug in there. And so yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun to see how that sort of tracks. I mean, just from the Dolphin side of it, are you? Like, what's the cost benefit here? You're getting another first round pick. They're loaded up now on first and second round pick. I mean, they already were, but even more so, loaded up on first and second round picks for this next draft. But again, it's sort of the same discussion. Like, are you going to get a player who's better than what you're giving up? I think that's always the challenge with uh, rebuilding teams and teams that are really embrace it the way Miami has. But it, it, again, you're not giving up a a 31 year old guy on his maybe his last contract you're giving up a guy who is maybe a cornerstone defensive piece for a long time so that's uh that's an interesting side of it for the Dolphins from my perspective because I think it's hard to really feel totally comfortable in the move if you ask me because I don't again I don't know that you're going to replace Minka with someone better than him this draft this next draft yeah and that's it, it is tough because when is this team, the Dolphins, when are they going to be competitive? You know, do they really feel like it's going to be a three or four year window? Because if that's the case, then you understand it a little more because Minka Fitzpatrick at that point is, you know, going to be, uh, you know, maybe looking to hit free agency. It didn't sound like he was very happy in Miami. He sounded like he wanted out. And so, you know, if he's not buying in, if, you know, you're worried about, him leaving after his contract anyways, then, you know, maybe you do pull the trigger. And the Steelers have to be a pretty appealing organization to trade with right now when you talk about a first-round pick, considering they just lost their quarterback, considering their defense is a mess. Uh, and so I think there's, you know, Steelers are not out of it. I mean, they're 0-2, and they're starting your backup quarterback, but they're not out of it. Uh, but I think if you're going to trade with another team that's willing to give with their first-round pick, the Steelers have to be pretty pretty appealing and so um you know part of it i think is minka wanting out and you know that's that's part of the equation if he was totally bought in to uh you know coach flores and, and you know the organization then maybe things are a little different uh, i mean i'm sure they are a lot different uh i don't think it's necessarily 
a fire sale where you know they're just they're trying or actively pushing everybody out the door that they can have value on. But if you're not buying in and what they're doing, which as a player, and I'm not even blaming Minka for this either, because as a player, it has to be a pretty. I mean, he's going from Alabama, the place that just you know breeds championships and uh, the the culture that Nick Saban has created there to Miami, where there is no culture. And I think they'll build it, and I think Miami will get there. Uh, at least for their fans, I, I hope so. But it, they're not there yet, and so that's uh, you know a pretty stark difference compared to what Minka Fitzpatrick's used to. And so uh, he he wasn't buying in and wanted out, and that, that's a big part of this equation. So uh, no, it's it's a fascinating dynamic for everyone involved, um, for Miami, for the Steelers, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And back to what I was saying about the uh, with Mason Rudolph and you know being a. I, I, I've heard from a lot of people on Twitter and 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 other where uh, or other places where they they said their next year's first round pick wasn't going to be a quarterback, so you know it, it makes a little more sense. I I'm just not, I'm not I mean I, I get it. They believe in Ben, uh, but he's going to be 38 years old next year, coming off a season ending elbow injury. Um, I, I just I don't know. I, as much as he's been beat up, he's talked about retirement before. I wouldn't say that. I mean, and if this ends up being a top five pick and it turns out that uh, Miami or, you know, that pick could have been, say, a Justin Herbert or someone else, then that's something they might look back at and and regret making that trade if they could have had the quarterback for their future. Because, you know, the Steelers, they're not going to be picking or their their goal is not to be picking in the top five, top 10 very often. So the chance this season to maybe get that quarterback of the future is something that they might have a little bit of hindsight on. Yeah, for sure. And again, you can see what Miami's trying to do. And this is really, and not just in football, I think we've seen it through through all professional sports. Like if you're going to rebuild, this is the way you have to do it. You just got to kind of bottom out and get the draft picks and hope you hit on most of them and, and go from there. Again, it's just, uh, they're giving up a really, really good player here. Uh, and make a Fitzpatrick and someone who sh- absolutely should help the Steelers. It's just a matter of whether it'll be enough this year uh, or next year. Um, you know, Mason Rudolph, uh, we wanted to sw- swing in and talk about some of the uh, senior receivers, the wide receivers headed into the 2020 class. Just wanted to touch real quick on, as we're talking about the Steelers, that game against the Seahawks. Um, Last weekend, uh, Mason Rudolph came in, um, threw a couple touchdown passes, 112 yards, had a pick. Uh, Steelers lost that game. But uh, DK Metcalf made a touchdown grab in that game. And I know that was one of the – he was one of the curiosities, I think, headed into the 2019 NFL draft. Just the incredible physical specimen. A lot of talk about whether he had the the necessary sort of route running and, and technique to be successful at the next level. Seems like he's fitting in pretty well with the Seahawks early on so before we swing into next year's receiver class I just wanted to kind of really quickly get your thoughts on or early impressions on him as a Seahawk yeah and you know there's there's a lot of things with DK Metcalf like he's not a great route runner I mean that that's just that that's that's truth but he's a big physical athletic specimen and you can use that I mean so it's okay to be critical of DK Metcalf uh, and you know his three cone time and his short shuttle and the fact that uh, he does struggle to snap off routes uh, and there has some struggles at the catch point. Th- there are plenty of reasons to be 
uh, critical of Metcalf's game and, you know, worries about how it's going to translate. But all it really says is he's not Julio Jones. And that's okay. He doesn't have to be. Uh, but he is a physical freak, and you can absolutely use that at the NFL level. And, and DK's shown that. I mean, I, w- I was very critical of him leading up to the draft, but he's still my number one wide receiver in the class. Uh, I just didn't think he was worth a top 20 pick, like a lot of people said that he was. Uh, but I, I thought somewhere between 20 and 40, uh, he was worth it. And I think the Seahawks even got him later than that. And so uh, he's showing up really well right now. Uh, hopefully he stays healthy. That was the other big knock on him. Could he just be reliable and stay on the football field? Uh, but when you have a target like that, where he has 4-3 speed, he has that type of length. Uh, I mean, that that's something that Russell Wilson is certainly enjoying right now. So uh, I don't know. Were you as high on him uh, as, as some others? Did you have you know, some reservations or what'd you think of Metcalf coming out? Uh, I, I think I was in pretty similar boat to you. I actually, and he ended up going higher. I actually liked AJ Brown a little more, his teammate at Ole Miss, just as a, in, in terms of a, t- you know, total package. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you, anytime you have the sort of physical gifts you start with, with DK Metcalf, you've got to pay attention to it. And, and then, as you said, you know, to get him at, they got him at 64, like that's a pretty good value on him. And obviously as we're seeing now, um, I, I didn't necessarily buy in when we were, you know, there was the, <laughs> there's always the ebbs and flows of draft, you know, the, the draft run up and sort of talking about Metcalf is like a top 10, top 15 pick. And I never really understood that, but certainly where he went made a lot of sense. And, um, yeah, as you said, has been a really good fit, uh, so far. And, um, wanted to use that as a jumping off point into, this current crop of wide receiver prospects again it's he's dane brugler on twitter at dp brugler Uh, i'm chris burke at chris burke nfl Um, subscribe to our podcast the prospects to pros podcast on the athletic Um, subscribe to the athletic if you want to get the second podcast of the week which will be out uh, typically on thursdays Uh, make sure you rate us review us leave us some uh, comments let us know on twitter what you're thinking about the show so far Uh, but yeah you mentioned that it was We wound up with two wide receivers in the first round last year. Marquise Brown went at 25. Nikhil Harry went at 32. It was, uh, you know, it looks like there's some guys who are going to make a pretty big impact. We're already seeing that. We've talked about a few of them uh, beyond those big names. You know, Terry McLaurin. um, There's some guys further down that uh, Keyshawn Johnson with Arizona. Some guys that are getting into the action already. But um, this 2020 class, uh, in your season preview of it, you wrote that it it's got a chance to rival the 2014 draft class, which was just to refresh people's memory. It was Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Brandon cooks. Uh, you also mentioned Sammy Watkins, Jarvis Landry, Devonte Adams, just a great class that one that stood up now over five, six seasons. Uh, are you still feeling like this 2020 receiver class is that good? Yeah. And it's not just the, the few names at the top, it's just the the sheer volume of talented receivers that this class could have. Um, you know, we're talking uh, at least five guys that you, you would could argue belong in the first round, probably more. Um, and so it, it's not just the the talent level of one or two guys. It's it's just the volume of of talented receivers, and we talk so much about the underclassmen, uh, and, and deservedly so. But I I thought this was a big weekend for. You know, one of the every college football weekend, I come away with kind of a theme that I, you know, really stands out to me. One of the themes this past weekend was 
the senior wide receivers and a couple guys really stepping up. Uh, we saw Brian Edwards from South Carolina and against Alabama uh, show up in a big way. They force-fed him the football, and he responded well. I think he had, what, nine receptions. Uh, he was uh, targeted quite a bit, and he responded well. He's, he's a big physical guy, 6'3", 218 pounds, and he runs a legitimate yeah, it's probably I'd say guess four five two four five three in that range reminds me of a lot of like a Quincy and Nunwa type of guy um, a type of prospect uh, so I think Brian Edwards helped himself uh, John Hightower from Boise State this is a name that I don't hear a lot about but uh, people are they need to know John Hightower because of his speed he's a legit high four three low four four uh, type of athlete he's six two hundred eighty five pounds. Uh, over the weekend, he had a kick return for a touchdown. Then he added another receiving touchdown. Um, you know, could he be that Will Fuller uh, type prospect where he gets into the first round just because of the sheer speed to get behind the defense, stretch out uh, the secondary vertically? So I think John Hightower uh, has done a really nice job. Uh, Michael Pittman at USC, uh, son of Michael Pittman, uh, the former running back uh, in the NFL. Chase Clay, uh, Claypool from Notre Dame, uh, another one who, a big uh, physical athlete uh, from British Columbia. I'm actually doing a story on him this week that'll be up on The Athletic. Uh, so I think that, and, and even go, and he's not uh, maybe in the same breath as those other guys, but even a Daryl Stewart from Michigan State, who uh, he's the top target in that offense for Brian Lewerke, and he's stepping up big time. I've been really impressed with his hands and his ball skills. Uh, not the biggest guy, he's about six foot, uh, but he's well put together. He, he's a he's a good 215, 217. So I think Daryl Stewart is showing why uh, he, he's a possible draft pick as well. So as much as we talk about these underclassmen, I do want to talk about, I, I did want to mention some of these seniors who have stepped up and um, you know deserve to be mentioned as well, because as we get closer to the draft, it's going to be dominated by these underclassmen. Uh, it's a special, special class, but there's some talented seniors too. Yeah, Stewart had just an insane one-handed catch when Michigan State was backed up against the goal line late in that game, um, trying to come back and, and force overtime. Or uh, maybe they were milking the lead. I can't remember what the situation was at the time. I know they were third and long from inside their own five. He made just a ridiculous one-handed grab. Uh, I wanted to throw a couple more names at you. Um, uh, another guy that had a really good weekend, uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. I don't know that... You know that's that's probably not a program a lot of people have seen on TV, but uh, you've got him at six four two sixteen. He had a huge game on Saturday, uh, had a big season last year. Looks like he's a pretty interesting prospect coming out. And then um, Ahmad Wagner from Kentucky, was a really unique story. Was a basketball player for Iowa, transferred over. Now he's playing at Kentucky. Yet, you have any uh, thoughts at this point on on either of those two guys? Yeah, Wagner is—he's fascinating. And our uh, uh, our own uh, Kyle Tucker with the Athletic did a, a nice story on him, and um, it just—it's fascinating how. I mean, first of all, he had that amazing catch, uh, touchdown catch against Florida, but uh, when they've targeted him, it, it's the success rate is sky high. It's either a pass interference or a reception, uh, and so you know he has an interesting background. Uh, transferred tra- transferred to Kentucky last year. Uh, from uh, from Iowa as ba- from the basketball program, and he's showing up. I mean, he's doing a nice job, and so I, I th- he's he's a guy that uh, scouts have mentioned to me. Um, but coming into the year, he had 
uh, a pretty low gray, uh, grade as a PFA grade. But if he continues to play like he's playing, uh, you know, I, if he gets able to get a Senior Bowl invite, um, you know, maybe get into one of these All Star games, he might have a chance of getting drafted. And of course, he has to uh, test well, uh, hopefully, and get to the combine. Uh, and then in Gandy Golden from Liberty, it, like you say, he's a big athlete, 6'4", 216 pounds, legit, probably 450, 4'5", 40-yard uh, dash, a uh, little straight line-ish, but uh, when you're that size and you have that type of speed, uh, you know, people are going to take notice. And that's something, that's a common theme with a lot of the receivers this year. I mean, I, I think I can go through my top maybe 15 senior receivers uh, and each one's over six foot. And so each one has some size to deal that, uh, you know, they can use to their, uh, uh, to their, their benefit. And that's, that's a big part of, uh, what makes them uh, potential draft picks next April. Yeah. Gandy golden, just to be a little bit of a Homer pick here, uh, <laughs> writing, covering the lines. He reminds me a little bit of Kenny Galladay, just his size and, and sort of his gait, the way he, uh, covers grounds with those strides. Uh, do you, I don't know how much work you've done on Ahmad Wagner at this point, but it, the, the size you mentioned in the former basketball background, like, do you see him cracking the league as a wide receiver, or is he a like a pass catching tight end in the future? He's probably that slot, big slot receiver. You know, the Marquise Colston type guy. Um, he's in the spring, they measured him at 6'5", 236, and at 40 time, I would guess probably in the mid-four sixes. So he's doesn't he doesn't have the blocking of a tight end. He doesn't have the power that you want to see from the tight end position, but he also doesn't have the, the, the pure speed to uh, you know dust corners off the line. So uh, he, he's kind of in that, that tweener stage where uh, maybe he's a, more of a red zone threat. Uh, maybe he's a guy that's gonna, you know, be on the field and money downs. Um, so I think it's gonna be important for him to show that uh, he can be consistent in those situations. And so far, he has. Uh, like I said, the success rate when he's targeted is very high. Uh, you know, he didn't see uh, action last year, and so it's really we're just kind of looking at him this year and looking at potential. But he's starting to turn that potential into more production, which is good to see. Uh, and one more guy I wanted to mention, just because I kind of ripped on the Big Ten earlier, but Tyler Johnson from Minnesota kind of yeah. stole a win for them against Georgia Southern, had three touchdown catches, including one late. Uh, he, I, It seemed like he was pretty on the fence about whether he's going to stay for his last year or go to the draft l- last April. Um, did, you ha- were, uh, did you have him higher last year? Like, Would he have been one of those guys that could have cracked day one, day two for you? I think I think he was a day two pick. Um, I, I thought third round, and that's where I graded him this year. Um, so not much changed. Uh, I think he's, I think he's being a little overrated uh, when people talk about him as a first round pick. I, I think he's a much better chance of going third or fourth round rather than first or second round. But he's still a, a really good player, um, and you know we saw that he he had a pretty quiet first two weeks. But then we saw him break out, uh, like you said on Saturday, the game-winning catch, three touchdowns. Um, uh, he's, you know, he's not. There's nothing about the size, speed that wows you. He's, uh, you know, probably a four-five-five type of athlete, and you know that's fine. I mean, there's plenty of wide receivers in the NFL that aren't four-three athletes, but you know, average size, um, up and down uh, catch rate over the middle of the field. Uh, but I think he's a solid route runner. And there's just a lot, to, a lot of like a lot to like about him. He's just a solid player all around. And so uh, those types of guys usually go in the third or fourth round, not the first or second, and that's okay. Uh, I think he'd be a quality NFL guy. 
You mentioned uh, Hightower, you know, sort of the lean, fast guy. Most of these receivers we're talking about are are big, you know, 6'4", 6'5". Colin Johnson's 6'6". We've talked about him a couple times. Do you have uh, a sense or have a feeling for any of these guys that you really like that might be uh, more slot weapons at the next level? Like, does K.J. Hill stand out like that or uh, Kalijah Lipscomb from Vanderbilt? Like, are there guys that you think can step in and be just more high-volume sort of inside guys? I mean, Brian Edwards, maybe? Do you see him playing that role as an NFL guy? Yeah, I think he could definitely do that. Uh, you mentioned K.J. Hill. I think that's – he's, to me, the the Jarvis Landry of, of this draft class where – uh, he's not going to run super fast. I mean, he's probably in the mid four fives. Uh, the size is just okay, uh, but he has strong hands. Uh, he has a very keen understanding of space. Uh, you know, whether he's uh, running an out route, whether he's you know working in congestion, uh, he has a very, very he's very, very aware of everything that's going on around him. And so, I think KJ Hill certainly would fit that mold of a high volume slot target. Whereas uh, a John Hightower or even at, at North Texas, they have a wide receiver, Rico Boosie, um, who kind of fits that more of the slot target when we talk about a, v- a true vertical threat, uh, the pure speed. Um, those guys, Hightower, Boosie, those guys have you know the tall, long, lean bodies with the, the 4-4 speed who... Uh, you know, defenses have to kind of be aware of every time you're on the field. We got uh, a lot more to talk about with this class, as uh, as we keep saying every week, and trying to run down sort of position by position here, just get you at least a good feel for um, sort of who's going to stand out over these next few months. And as Dane said, you know, you, we talk so much about these underclassmen already. Um, you know, LaVisca Chenault and, and Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs had the r- ridiculous catch and run touchdown this week where it looked like he was uh, just playing at a different speed than everyone else on the field. Um, it is important to highlight some of these upperclassmen, make sure we're paying attention to them because it is, uh, as Dane wrote and as he said, it's a really good and deep receiver class. And uh, we're going to see a run on them at some point uh, when we get to the 2020 draft. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that position. We'll keep talking about them as uh, the situation warrants. And again, we'll have a second episode later this week for athletic.com subscribers. So make sure you get in. We're always running our uh, deals. If you want to, if you need an updated one, check in with either myself or Dane. Uh, we'll hook you up with uh, a few bucks off so you can get that subscription uh, and that gets you access to everything. It gets you access to all the podcasts that are behind the paywall, but also all our coverage across the board, every team and every league that we uh, cover, plus Dane's uh, draft coverage, which uh, is always uh, interesting and useful. Uh, I'm sure you'll want to be reading as we get closer to the draft. Maybe some of you Dolphins fans are already knee-deep in it, <laughs> as we've talked about. So uh, thanks again to everyone for listening. Uh, for our producer, Kent Garrison and Dane Brugler, I'm Chris Burke, and we'll talk to you later this week. Hey there, listeners. Kent Garrison here, producer of Prospects to Pros here on The Athletic. And we're excited to share some big news. Our team at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery have launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With The Athletic's more than 400 writers and editors, co-hosts Kavita Davidson and Anders Kelto, will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. So, you're about to hear a preview of The Lead. And remember, subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts, 
wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the show notes that'll take you there immediately. So, enjoy this preview of the lead and remember to subscribe. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.